0: This is The Church is the World, Chapter 2, Episode 4 A Look into the Christian Story of Creation. For those of you listening when the episode is originally released, you know it's the week between Christmas and New Year's Eve, 2015. Of course, among many other things, this means that this episode is the last of 2015. Next year will bring a few changes. And we'll begin with the continued working through the era and history surrounding the book of Genesis. Thanks for making it this far, and I, at least, am really looking forward to the podcast next year. But back to this episode. I'll first begin with the creation story found in Genesis chapters 1 through 3, then explore a few of the theories about the story. Like I mentioned many episodes ago, I'll be relying on the New Revised Standard Version of the Bible. Let's get started chapter 1. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void, and darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. And God said, Let there be a dome in the midst of the water, and let it separate the waters from the waters. So God made the dome, and separated the waters that were under the dome from the waters that were above the dome. And it was so. And God called the dome sky. And there was evening, and there was morning, the second day. And God said, And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed of every kind, and trees of every kind bearing fruit with seed in it. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning, the third day. And God said, "Let there be lights in the dome of the sky to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years." And let them be lights in the dome of the sky, to give light upon the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, and the lesser light to rule the night, and the stars. God set them into the dome of the sky to give light upon the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, Let the waters bring forth swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the dome of the sky. So God created the great sea monsters, and every living creature that moves, of every kind, with which the waters swarm, and every winged bird of every kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters and the seas, and let the birds multiply on the earth. and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves upon the earth. God said, See, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is upon the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the air and to everything that creeps on the earth and everything that has the breath of life I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw everything that he had made, and indeed, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Chapter 2 Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all their multitude. And on the seventh day God finished the work he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and hallowed it. Because on it God rested from all the work that He had done in creation. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, when no plant of the field was yet in the earth, and no herb of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was no one to till the ground, but a stream would rise from the earth and water the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. Out of the ground the Lord God made to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight, and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil." A river flows out of Eden to water the garden. And from there it divides and becomes four branches. The name of the first is Pishon. It is the one that flows around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Bedillium and Onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is Gion. It is the one that flows around the whole land of Cush. The name of the third river is Tigris which flows east of Assyria, and the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to till it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You may freely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. And I will make him a helper as his partner. So out of the ground the Lord God formed every animal of the field and every bird of the air, and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all cattle and to the birds of the air and to every animal of the field. But for the man there was not found a helper as his partner. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This one shall be called woman, for out of man this one was taken. Therefore a man leaves his father and his mother and clings to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Chapter 3 Now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God say, You shall not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it, or you shall die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were open, and they knew that they were naked, And they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? Then the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit from the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent tricked me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you among all the animals, and among all the wild creatures. Upon your belly you shall go. In dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. To the woman he said, I will greatly increase your pangs in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children, yet your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to the man he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree about which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. You shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread until you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken; you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man named his wife Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made garments of skins for the man and his wife, and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, See, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, and now he might reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life, and eat, and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him forth from the Garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim, and a sword flaming, and turning to guard the way to the tree of life. So that's the end of chapter 3 of Genesis, and of the Hebrew creation story. But it's not the end. It's just a prelude for all that follows through this day. Now, the point of this episode is not to explain the differences between Genesis 1 and chapters 2 and 3 and why some theologians argue that there are two creation stories and others argue for a singular story from two perspectives. Such a deep dive is not the point of this podcast. I'm determined to educate you on what was happening in the world around the Bible and then what happened after the time of the Bible. If you want to dive deeply into the debate between one or two creation stories, there are plenty of sources available. So, in the beginning, over 3,000 years ago, Jewish desert dwellers in what is present-day southern Israel told a story around campfires about the creation of the land in which they lived, the seas that they had seen, the animals they encountered, and the first man and the first woman. Perhaps they were reading from clay tablets or sheepskin scrolls, or maybe it was just oral tradition. The story they told and passed on to their descendants described a pre-creation scene much like the desert landscape in which they struggled daily for existence. From the dry desert dust, the creator forms a man and breathes life into him, and then places him into a beautiful oasis-like garden, abundant with fruits and everything he needs not only to survive, but to thrive. The creator takes a personal interest in this first man, and sets about trying to find him a suitable companion, When none of the creatures he first forms provides the man the comfort he had hoped for, the Creator makes the first woman. Everything goes well for a spell, in the story told in the desert, but then the Creator is disobeyed and it all falls apart. The Genesis creation narrative is vitally important to both Judaism and Christianity. It is made up of two parts, roughly equivalent to the first three chapters of the book of Genesis. But before diving in, I must remind you that in the original Hebrew text, there were no chapter and verse divisions. They were added later for ease of reference. In the first part, which spans from the first verse of Genesis to chapter 2, verse 3, Elohim, the Hebrew word for God, creates the heaven and the earth in six days, starting with darkness and light on the first day and ending with the creation of mankind on the sixth day. God then rests on and then blesses and sanctifies the seventh day. The Creator in Genesis 1 is impersonal, almost force like, a true deity. The pre creation setting is perhaps a watery chaos, or maybe even emptiness. He begins by creating the heaven and the earth. Light comes next, followed by land rising from amidst the gathered together waters. The creation of living things occupies parts of the next three days. Grass, fruit trees, and herbs are created on the third day. The sun, moon, and stars come into existence the day after the plant kingdom is created. On the fifth day, God brings forth fish, great wells, and every winged fowl. Finally, on the sixth day, God creates cattle and creeping things, and beasts of the earth. The creation story culminates with God bringing into existence a man made in the image of God. Man is to have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over the earth, and over everything that creepeth upon the earth. To put it another way, the first account employs a repetitive structure of divine order and fulfillment, then a statement similar to "...and there was evening and there was morning the first day." The other five days follow a similar linguistic format. In each of the first three days, there is an act of division. Day 1 divides the darkness from the light, day 2 the waters above from the waters below, and day 3 the sea from the land. In each of the next three days, these divisions are populated. Day 4 populates the darkness and the light with sun, moon, and stars. Day 5 populates seas and skies with fish and fowl. And finally, land-based creatures and mankind populate the land. The accounts in chapters 1 and 2 are joined together by a literary bridge at Genesis chapter 2, verse 4. These are the generations of the heavens and of the earth when they were created. This echoes the first line of Genesis 1, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And is reversed in the next phrase, Genesis chapter 2, verse 4, the second part, In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. In the second part of Genesis chapter two verse four to verse twenty four, God is now referred to by the personal name Yahweh, and creates the first man from dust and breathes life into him. God then places him in the Garden of Eden and creates the first woman from his side as a companion. Unlike the first chapter, the deity in the second chapter is a personal God with human like emotions. The story opens upon a barren landscape on which no shrub of the field had yet to appear, and God had not yet caused it to rain upon the earth. Creation begins in the form of a mist from the earth that waters the parched plain. God then forms from the dust of the earth, the first man, Adam, and breathes into his nostrils the breath of life. Finding a suitable home for Adam is God's next concern. Unlike in the first chapter, God takes a paternalistic interest in the first human, his very special creation. He plants an oasis-like garden in Eden, proclaiming, It is not good for the man to be alone, and I will make a helper suitable for him. God forms all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air. When none of the beasts proves to be much comfort to Adam, God takes one of the first man's ribs and makes the first woman, Eve. Adam and Eve anger God by eating a forbidden fruit. Also, from this first union of man and woman, the writer explained, have come all of us. Genesis 1 and 2 provide accounts of what God did during creation. But these two chapters don't seem to agree. Are there two different accounts of creation under discussion in Genesis 1 and 2? It is argued that Genesis 1 represents animals as existing before man, yet Genesis 2 has Adam created before the animals are formed, but the text of Genesis chapter 2 verse 19 merely suggests that the animals are formed before being brought to man. It says nothing about the relative origins of man and beast in terms of chronology. Some scholars have argued that the reverse creation chronology, as seen in the two chapters, is supposed to demonstrate conflicting creation accounts. The first account starts out with the creation of heaven and earth. The second narrative begins with the making of earth and heaven. But many other scholars point out that the focus of each narrative is different. In the first chapter, heavenly activity is in focus, specifically being made in the image and likeness of God. Look no further than the literary bridge in Genesis chapter 2, verse 4. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created, in the day that Jehovah God made earth and heaven. In this one verse, there is contained the heaven-earth and earth-heaven motif. In the second chapter, man is the center of interest, preparing the way for the account of the fall. Chapter 2 also gives certain added details about man's original condition, which would have been out of place in the grand, declarative tempo of chapter 1. Overall, there is a noticeable difference in style within the two accounts, but the record is consistent with the plan to narrow down the story to man. Diving a little deeper, the two stories are complementary rather than overlapping, with the first concerned with the overall creation, while the second focuses on man as cultivator of this world. Of course, there are significant parallels between the two stories, but there are also significant differences. The second chapter uses a simple flowing narrative style that proceeds from God's forming the first man through the Garden of Eden to the creation of the first woman and the institution of marriage. In contrast to the regimented seven-day scheme of Genesis 1, the omnipotent God of Genesis 1, creating a humanity that shows no faults, while Genesis 2 shows that the humanity he creates has faults, and are punished for acts which would lead to their becoming unimpotent. One more thing. No matter which hypothesis of the writing of Genesis you subscribe to, it would seem odd that the two chapters would make it through centuries of editing, and no one would delete one of the chapters, unless, of course, that's the way it was supposed to have been written. And since this is the biblical story of the creation of everything, I'll take just a minute and touch on creationism. Specifically, creationism is the belief that the universe and life originate from specific acts of divine creation. In Western culture, this act of creation is usually that which is described by the Genesis creation narrative, though Augustine of Hippo in the 4th century AD, and who I'll cover in depth at some point in the future, gave a metaphorical interpretation of the Genesis creation. Many creationists take a biblical literalism approach to the Genesis creation narrative and reject the scientific theory of evolution. As evolutionary thought developed beginning in the 18th century, various views aimed at reconciling the Abrahamic religions in Genesis with biology and other sciences developed in Western culture. Those holding that species have been created separately were generally called advocates of creation. Many evolutionists, including Darwin, successfully attempted to describe them with what they considered to be an insulting word, creationist. As the creation-evolution controversy developed over time, the term any-evolutionist also became common. Beginning in the early 20th century, the term and concept of intelligent design came into being. Like Augustine of Hippo and many other people and concepts i mentioned in the past, this too will be covered in depth at some point in the future. But back to Genesis. Does it really matter if there is one creation story from two different perspectives, or two stories from two writers? To me, it really doesn't make a difference. No man witnessed the events before he was formed from the dust, so no one would be capable of completely and accurately recalling what happened. But no matter which camp you subscribe to, one thing is for certain, and that is that something did happen. And there is no doubt that it was caused by something greater than the forces of you, me, and all of us that have ever been combined. In direct contrast with many of the creation myths I covered last week, the Hebrew version has a certain simplicity and confidence stemming from a resilient monotheism. The Old Testament begins with a brilliant and confident statement. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And yes, that is from the King James. And why? Why? Well, because it's more memorable. In this interpretation, there is only one blemish. God's world sounds perfect, and surely must be so. But we who live in our present world know that the world is far from perfect. There are such things as disease, natural disasters, violence, despotism, and death. Why is this, given the perfect world that was created? The creation story provides a complete answer in the second chapter of Genesis. Everything was indeed perfect in the Garden of Eden and would have remained so if Eve and Adam had not eaten the fruit of a tree which God had forbidden them to touch. After this act of disobedience, Adam and Eve are cast into the real world with all the death, disappointment, and destruction that is inherent in that realm. So that's the episode for this week. Join me next week when I'll dive into the geography of Mesopotamia, the region where this is all believed to have taken place. I'll begin with the four rivers mentioned in the creation story, the Pishon, the Gion, the Tigris, and the Euphrates. As always, you can find information about the podcast on the internet at thechurchestheworld.com. Comments and questions can be sent to comments at You can also find the Facebook page by searching the phrase, The Church is the World, as four separate words. Thanks for listening, and have a great week, and a Happy New Year.